it's good to be here tonight. Good to see you all here. Beautiful summer-like day, even though we're in the fall. Um, today I'd like to take a look at Proverbs chapter 16. We'll just take some nuggets from the book of Proverbs and use it as a, uh, a bit of a devotion type as we look through Proverbs. <clears throat> the reason why I say that Proverbs is... Um, it's hard to find a, a, like a structure in it. There's a collection of Proverbs, and Proverbs is wise sayings. Um, but we do see the wisdom here, and it touches on a few topics. But today, um, I want to tie this in to our prayer and our dependence on the Lord for our daily, and, uh, our daily lives, our everyday living, okay? <coughs> So we're going to just look at some verses in the first part of Proverbs 16. So let's just read it first of all. <coughs> Proverbs 16, starting at verse 1. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. By the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. An oracle is on the lips of a king. His mouth does not sin in judgment. A just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. It is an abomination to kings to do evil, for the throne is established by righteousness. Righteous lips are the, are the delight of a king, and he loves him who speaks what is right. A king's wrath is a messenger of death, and a wise man will appease it. In the light of a king's face there is life, and his favor is like the clouds that bring the spring rain. How much better to get wisdom than gold, to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. The highway of the upright turns aside from evil. Whoever guards his way preserves his life. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good. Blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. The wise of heart is called discerning and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Good sense is a fountain of life to him who has it, but the instruction of fools is folly. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. There is a way that seems right to a man, but it ends in the way to death. Let me pause right there. There's so much there. 
Um, really, that's too much for us to, to bite off in the small time that we have. But I just wanted to, to bring some common thread uh, to some of those verses. Um, first of all, just reading through that, you realize there are some pretty popular verses in that chapter that we've heard before. And you go, wow, all of that is in Proverbs 16. Um, like, commit your way to the Lord and your plans will be established. Um, whenever a man's, when a man's ways please the Lord, verse 7, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Verse 8, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Verse 9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Those are verses that, uh, that are common we have heard before. Verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. <clears throat> um, verse 24, actually I think it's in the King James where that rhymes. It says, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Bone and honeycomb kind of rhyme. So that's, that's the uh, King James version of it. I remember that. And of course, verse 25, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Um, just pull one more out that we didn't read. Verse, 20, thir verse 32, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. All right, so let's pull a few things together. One is, you know, we make our, we make our <coughs> plans. We make our plans for what we're going to do, whether it's for the day or for life, you know. Um, I had a plan for my life. I was going to uh, finish high school, go to college, get, a, get a, a, a career, get married, have children, and just, you know, all this stuff is in order. Um, actually worked out <laughs> <laughs> pretty much like that. <laughs> but God had a plan. We make plans for ourselves, um, but it's God who, who really orders our steps. And I've said this before, we really should be thinking and praying this way. Lord, according to your will, according to your purpose, let me, I'll, I'll make plans, but let me always give room and look to you to, to set the path. So it says, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Um, and then verse 4, the Lord has made everything for its purpose. I'll get into that a little later, but <clears throat> our ways, when we make plans, it always seems right to us, but who do we double check with those plans with? Are we, are we really opening that up to God? If there's something that your heart has been set for that you're praying for, um, what is your attitude if you don't get it? Have you surrendered even that to God? God, I really want this new house. I really want this job. I really want this thing that I'm, my heart is set for. But if you don't want me to have it, or now is not the time, help me to submit to your will and to your purpose. And, and so we need to, to look at that. Um, but verse 2 says, all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Um, what we think seems right, but how do we evaluate that? 
How, how, how do we know? I think one of the ways that God has given for us to evaluate that is our fellowship, each other. I've said this, you, we are mirrors for each other. God's word is a mirror, um, um, but your brother or your sister is helping you to see are you understanding and applying God's word properly in your life in this situation that you're approaching right now. We all have those blind spots, and so we need to have each other, the fellowship of each other, to, to, um, to learn how we ought to, how we ought to function. Um, there's a, a dog trainer um, that has, has done a, a show for a long time. Cesar Milan is his name, and, and I always use some of his, some of the things that happen with him as an illustration. What he'll do is he'll train dogs that seem to be untrainable. And he, he has a pack of dogs himself in his own uh, business or site. And he'll bring a new dog in. And then when he brings the new dog in, all the other dogs like surround it. And it looks a little vicious at first, but this new dog will come in and he's learning the rules. And a lot of times he, that new dog is not socialized properly. He's doing stuff that the other dogs don't take. It's like, no, you don't do that here. We don't play that. And they'll let them know. They'll snap at him a little bit. And it, it seems vicious. But what they're doing is they are teaching him what is acceptable. He's been getting away with it because he's had a spoiled human that let him do anything he wanted to do. Now he's with his own peers. And his peers are saying, that ain't how we act. That's us dogs. We don't do that. There's an order here. You better respect it. And so he learns it from that. And I use that to say, our church is a fellowship like that. A lot of Christians think that they can just function on their own and do their own thing. But it's the fellowship of believers that it actually helps you see yourself and evaluate that. So it says, all the ways, <clears throat> verse 2, all the ways of a man are pure in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Another way to evaluate ourselves is to do verse 3. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. In other words, whatever you do, commit it to the Lord, and then he will carry his plan out. It's a way of evaluating. Um, but sometimes we, 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 we think we're doing that, and uh, Lord, I'm really committed to you. But how, how do you really evaluate that? And one of the ways you do it is in the next verse. The, the Lord has made everything for its purpose. Let's accept the Lord's purpose of what he's doing, his timing, and what he wants to do. Think about the, the Matthew um, um, 16 passage we were looking at on Sunday. Um, Peter had his own purpose when he heard Jesus say, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer many things, I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to raise again the third day. That, that was offensive to Peter because it didn't fit Peter's purpose. Say that three times fast, right? Um, it didn't fit his purpose. But it certainly fit God's purpose. And so we have to fall under God's purpose. Ask God to make that known. Um, and I like, here's, here's the thing to me that, that helps us in our prayers. The last part of verse 4. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Um, sometimes we... Um, we fret because we see evil around us, and, and it just seems to go. Um, and it's like the Lord's not paying attention. Like, Lord, you let that happen. You're going to let them get away with that. Um, 
and and we need to remember that God still is in control. He's still working his purpose. So as we pray tonight, remember, um, God is fulfilling his purpose, even in ways <clears throat> in ways that we don't like. Um, but we can we can be sure that he's he knows what he's doing. He's fulfilling his purpose. Um, so be encouraged by God's purpose. Pray for it. Uh, take solace in it. Uh, rest assured. I like what it says in verse 5. Rest assured. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. God sees it. God is, is taking note of it. God will deal with it in his own way and in his own time. Rest assured. Comfort yourself with the fact that God will deal with eventually all evil. He's going to deal with it. He's going to put it right. And so we can, as we pray, we, we have to practice um, falling, um, falling before God and his purpose. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying that at God's will, we know eventually he's going to work that out totally. Um, but as we go day to day, uh, we want to just um, practice giving that over to God. Practice um, surrendering our will to him and our surroundings to him, knowing that, that he, yes, is still under, he's still in control. So as we pray today, let's keep that in mind. Let's challenge ourselves um, that we are actively submitting to God's will and looking for, you know, his, his answer, his response in the, the situations that we're in. the saints <clears throat> we're going to be continuing our meditation in the prophet Ezekiel let's read the first part of chapter 3 of Ezekiel and then let's get into it and he said to me son of man Eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. And then I ate it and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. And he said to me, son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my, with my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of foreign speech and a hard language, but to the house of Israel not the many peoples of foreign speech in a hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I sent you to such, they will listen to you. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they are not willing to listen to me, because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces, and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like emery harder than flint have I made your forehead. Fear them not nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you, receive in your heart, and hear with your ears. And go to the exiles, to your people, and speak to them, and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear. Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me the voice of a great earthquake. Blessed be the glory of the Lord from his place. 
It was the sound of the wings of the living creatures as they touched one another, and the sound of the wheels beside them, and the sound of a great earthquake. The Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit, the hand of the Lord being strong upon me. And I came to the exiles at Tel Aviv, who were dwelling by the Chebar Canal, and I sat where they were dwelling. I sat there overwhelmed among them seven days. things that's interesting about the book of Ezekiel and why it's so fascinating is that it is a book of visions. And I thought about it for a long time as this. And this is just a, just a general question that I had. Why is God's word the way that it is? Think of it in this sense. God said, I'll give you a law. And then he gave him a law, but the law is a whole bunch of stories. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then he said, hey, I'm going to give you a word. And then in the middle of this word, in the middle, right, you open your Bible right in the middle, and you have 150 different songs. And then he said, I'll give you my word. And then there's a whole book, 31 chapters of just Proverbs. And you get to the book of Revelations, and there's odd images. And the point is, why are all these things in God's word? And then you get to the book of Ezekiel and you get these strange visions. And the first thing he's done is he's told, eat the scroll. And you got to ask yourself, God, why, why are you doing this? Why is your word like this? And that's the first question we got to ask ourselves when we come to this book. Why is God's word like this? And what it is, when we think about it long enough, the first thing we should do is we should rebuke over-rational Christianity. What is that? That is trying to make the Bible a set of scientific precepts. It means this, it means that, all the time. Now, the Bible does have a definite meaning. I'm not saying it doesn't. But when you break the Bible down and it's just mere logic and philosophy, you miss a lot of what the Bible is. When you read the writings of the Apostle Paul, you do get that, but that's not all the Bible is. If you miss the fact that a lot of the Bible is songs, you miss the fact that God wants you to understand him through the power of music. And if you get to the book of Ezekiel, you start to understand that God wants you to understand him in your mental power. He wants you to understand him with your imagination understand these visions. How are you going to understand these visions unless you try to envision what Ezekiel is describing? Why would he go through these lengths to describe these visions unless he wants you to imagine that you were there with him? It is important that we do that. So as we imagine, what we start to realize is this. There's more to God's word than do's and don'ts. There's more to God's word than his letters that we're dissecting. there's a wise saying that says a picture is worth a thousand words. And so the first image we get, he says, eat this scroll. Now, God could have said something in a declarative way. He could have said, God's word is something you should eat. But he didn't say that. He said, eat this scroll. Which is interesting, right? Because when we get God's word, 
it doesn't initially seem appetizing to us, does it? What if I told you, eat this piece of paper? Who's eaten a piece of paper before? Don't lie. You've been a little kid before. You ate paper before. Is it good? It's not good. It's not good. That we don't have to debate, okay? That's not, that's not imagination. That's reality. All right. So the scroll comes. And he's told to eat the scroll. Why is he told to eat the scroll? And why is it a scroll? Let's talk about that. What do we get from the image of the scroll? And why is he told to eat it? In God's plan for what's about to happen. All right. Let's just say it in this sense. Let's combine our words together and say it is God's revealed will. Okay? Now, the interesting thing about God's word is, is his revealed will. It's his revealed will for the past. It tells us the truth about past events. It's his revealed will for today. And it's his revealed will for things that are to come, right? So in Ezekiel's day, when he heard this, the revealed will was something that hadn't happened yet. But for us, it's something that happened thousands of years ago, right? But it's still relevant today. So this scroll is something that, in some sense, is timeless. Now, we get the idea that it doesn't initially appear to be something that somebody would want to eat. But God told him to eat it. Now, when he ate it, he had this initial reaction that it tasted sweet in his mouth. Right? It tasted extremely sweet in his mouth. Why do you think it tasted sweet in his mouth? What, what, what is, why is it sweet, though? Why is it not sour? Why is it not like some ribs with some barbecue sauce? Why is it sweet? Why do we get the image almost of honey? He says, my mouth was as sweet as honey. Why? All right, let me ask you this. How do you feel when you hear God's word being delivered and it's powerful? How do you feel? Hmm? Okay, you feel power. What else? Okay, you feel like you can understand it. Okay, you feel like you're hearing from God directly. Comfort? Okay. What happens when you first get the honey to hit your tongue? What happens? What? All right. A flavor explodes, right? Let's just imagine it how it is. Let's say you eat something sweet, and when you take it in, it doesn't matter how it looks, right? When you take it in, you may be questionable about how it looks. You ever ate something you don't know if it's going to be good, and when you get it in your mouth, it's really good? All right? And then what happens to you? Now, there's a story in the Bible where Jonathan was starving, and then Jonathan sticked his staff in some honey, and he put the honey in his mouth. He said, my eyes brightened. Right? His eyes brightened. His attention sharpened. His brain sharpened. He seemed like he was super aware. What happens when we get that honey? Those things happen, right? We get sharp. You ever hear God's word and you're like, whoa, I wish I could be in that mind frame when I'm writing something, when I'm doing this, when I'm creative. Because in that space, I'm as creative as I can possibly be. In that space, my imagination has doubled. There's something about taking in God's word that is as sweet as honey. It's powerful. It's explosive. 
And it's even more explosive, the idea that it's surprisingly explosive, right? You ever heard somebody get up and they're going to give a sermon and you looked at them and you was like, I don't know about this. And then they went and delivered like a powerful word and you was like, oh my goodness. How did that feel? You felt amazing, right? Because you heard from God. What is it like to be Ezekiel and be given this scroll? You're skeptical at first. But then when you taste it, it's sweet in your mouth. But towards the end of the passage, he says he went away with great bitterness in his spirit. There's somebody else who had a very similar experience with God's word. Anybody remember? Just like Ezekiel, something was sweet, and then he ended up bitter to God's word. John and Revelations, he was told to eat God's word. He ate it, and it was sweet in his mouth like honey, but it was bitter. Why is it bitter in the end? It's a big question to us, and it should remain a question. Why is not everybody in this room? Why isn't everybody at church on Sunday? Why, when we give out the gospel, why don't people throw down, fall down on their knees, and repent and give their life to Jesus? Why would you hear that and walk away and go to hell? And people do that every day, and that's the bitterness, right? The bitterness is the reality that sets in. The reality that sets in that most people will not hear the word. Now, you may say, is that what your passage is about? Yeah. Because look what happens in the middle of him tasting the sweetness and him feeling the bitterness. What does God say? Son of man, these people are stubborn, so I made you stubborn. They forehead strong, I made your forehead strong. Why would his forehead to be strong? Because he's going to be smacking against these people every time. You remember the old, y'all might not remember this, back in Monday night football days, they used to have a helmet that they would smack into each other like this before the game, right? But that's him and the people of Israel. Head just smacking. No helmets, just head. Stubborn people. Hard-headed people, he described them. Why are they so hard-headed? Because they won't listen to the Lord. We can live amidst a hard-headed people. They know God's word, but they don't come to church. Some of them can even quote verses, but they don't listen to them. They go out there, and they go to school, they go to work, they live their own way. And they know what's right deep in their heart. Some of them, I saw a dude driving by today, the loudest cusses on his motorcycle and his music. It couldn't even have been enjoyable for the music to be that loud. Why did he have to be that ignorant? He was proud of his ignorance. He was displaying it for everybody to see. That's something you should be hiding, brother, I wanted to say. Sometimes I go out, my brother tell me some of the ladies be wearing some stuff that's crazy when he out there. Why they dress like that? Fallen, sinful, turned to destruction. Is that really a way that's going to lead you to success, even in the ways of the world? No. That's not a successful path. And when we see people going down these paths, it makes us bitter. Not bitter in the sense that we're angry at God, but it gives a bad taste in our mouth. And it should. 
And that's what you have when you wrestle with God's word. This is a vision about wrestling with God's word, right? It said at the end, he sat there overwhelmed for seven days. Why was he overwhelmed for seven days? Well, I think a few things. One is, he saw a great vision of God, and he had to ask himself, if I see how great God is, why are these people still not believing him? Here's the thing. When you see how good God is, when you see how thankful you should be, when you realize how much he saved you from, it downright makes you mad how defiant people are when they don't want to trust him. Sometimes your emotions go away from pity and go to wrath. Because it'd be one thing if people were just ignorant of God's word, but they are dismissive and disrespectful. And when you tell them, the only reason you even get to be disrespectful because God's grace to allow you to say that disrespectful stuff, they don't care. They just going about their way. I was outside the Planned Parenthood, and I saw a picture painted, a mural painted, of basically a demon. And that's what they're celebrating over there. They essentially are celebrating killing children over there. if somebody was to break in there and kill all the people that was in there, they would deserve it. Because they're murderers too. They bring violence. And when I see people like that, I say, Lord, come quickly. Come quickly. This world is just too messed up. Come quickly. That's what we should say, right? I think the bitterness is also a sign of our inability to really change people. Because we can't really change them, only God can. Amen.